Everybody, welcome your nerds! Little Andromeda, welcome to this very secret recording of The Nerd Degree, a show where we find out who is the wittiest nerd and who is the nerdiest wit. I am your host slash untraceable contact, Erin Harrington, and <coughs> actually probably quite <laughs> And tonight, spies, exclamation point. Uh, play, pay close attention, this live recording of a comedy panel show will self-destruct, sorry in advance. <laughs> in tonight's high stakes game of wit and wiles, our well-disguised nerds will be tested on spycraft, subterfuge, surveillance, who will get smart, who will be spooked, and who will find their mission impossible. <laughs> so, as always, we have two teams. Um, as they introduce themselves, I would like to know from them, what would your iconic spy look be? Okay, um, my name is Kathleen Burns, and I think that uh, my look would be like a suit made out of material that looks like bricks, <laughs> so that I can stand in front of a wall and no one can see me if I shut my eyes, and then tattoo my eyelids with bricks. <laughs> That's what I would do. That's my look. That's, good. That's a lot of commitment. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, my name is James Cooper. Uh, my iconic spy look is pretty much what I'm wearing right now, which is uh, burgundy corduroys, brown brogues, a grey, thank you, a grey woolen blazer and a black turtleneck. It's a, it's a strong look. Yes, so I can and spy. The, and the glasses. And, the, and my glasses, yes. Yeah. I can spy, but also I can throw down on the dance floor <laughs> if need be. Or, or teach... A class or of chemistry. Teach a chemistry class. <laughs> That's right. That, that'd, yeah. be, that'd be very good. And you've got some spy gloves there. And I've got well, some spy gloves here. Yeah. Gloves are important for subterfuge. Yep, very good. And what is your team name? We are Nikki Espionage. And, and Harry Spiles. Nikki Espionage <laughs> and Harry Spiles. <laughs> right, over to my left. Hi, kia ora. I am Karen Healy. Um, I am an author and a teacher, and my iconic spy look is one that, that everyone would discount immediately. So it's what I wear every day when I get home from school. Picture this. Track pants, warehouse, navy blue, men's 3XL for extra tummy space. Yes. No bra. Yes. Yep. Long sleeve top. Hoodie, yeah. stained, <laughs> spaghetti sauce, <laughs> hood up, no one sees me walking around my local pack and save, nobody's going to suspect I'm observing everybody. Very good. Yeah. You're going to look like one of those stock photos of um, a hacker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. Uh, kia ora, I am Brendan Bennett and um, my iconic spy look would be, I think I would wear an unforgivingly tight green morph suit <laughs> um, people yeah yes of course in person people would see me very very easily but then they'd take a photo of me as evidence and I'd be like oh, I don't think that I don't think I'm in that at all and then I would just photoshop myself out of every picture <laughs> with the help of your hacker friend yeah yeah, yeah that's right the perfect team yeah, yeah very good so so what is the the name of this perfect team we are only say never a few more times. Only say never a few more times. <laughs> we're, 
We are also tonight joined with someone from the Research and Development Division of Nerd Degree, our Q, our schoolkeeper, Jeff Clark. What have Hel you been working on, Jeff? Hello, uh, yes, Erin. Well, I've actually been working on uh, this device here, which is a cylinder containing a, a small, strategically contained amount of ink. And um, I believe that this device, and you press the button and the nib comes out allowing you to write, but then when you pop it back in, it doesn't actually leak into your clothing. And um, it's going to be very, very useful in a sword fight. That's incredible. Yes. Why is it going to be useful in a sword fight? Because it's a pen. No, no, no. Q, not R. <laughs> Right, so we're going to head into round number one. Ooh. And this is the nerd quotient round. This is a general knowledge round, a round in which we test nerdly knowledge. Uh, I think we'll start with Nikki Espionage and Harry Spiles. Uh, your, your question is, how well can James Bond ride a Vespa? <laughs> pretty well, I'd say. Do you reckon? Pretty well, yeah. Can you remember I'm in a movie on one? Yeah. Because <laughs> like, yep. I can't, but I reckon it'd be shit at it. Because like, don't they always end with like explosions and stuff? Oh yeah, no, it, it didn't end well in the movie either. Well, then he's not good at it. Oh, that's true. That's true. No, he's not. He's, he's rubbish. So, so, so what's, what's your final answer? Rubbish. That he's rubbish. He's, he's trash at it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm actually being quite cheeky here. I'm not talking about a Vespa motorbike, but a Vespa martini. Oh. 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 Sorry. Uh, can we just put what? pause for a second here? Yeah. Sorry, what's going on? You mentioned something that's very important. Oh. <laughs> very good. We have a martini glass, we have a thermos full of, I presume, chilled... It's an espresso martini. Oh. Oh, yeah. Ah, I thought it was the uh, Dunedin drinking water. <laughs> Is this what you take to school? Yeah, for the girl on the go. Oh, <laughs> um, I think we have a, a picture of the Vespa martini. Actually, there you go. So the Vespa martini is uh, the James Bond signature martini. It crops up in uh, Casino Royale. He asks for a dry martini in a deep champagne goblet. Uh, and then he tells the bartender exactly what's in it. He says three measures of Gordon's, one of vodka, half a measure of Kina Lillet, shake it till it's ice cold, then add a very large thin slice of lemon peel. Uh, the barman says, certainly monsieur, and apparently is pleased with the idea. Um, and he gets asked, you know, certainly that's a drink, and he said, well, when I'm concentrating, mm. I never have more than one drink before dinner, but... I like it to be very cold and very strong. Yes, very mm -hmm. good. You get a point for that. It has to be large, cold, and strong. Just how I like my man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and very well made. I hate small portions of anything, particularly when they taste bad. See, I would think that the best sort of portions when something tastes bad is very small portions. <laughs> yeah. But that's right. And he says the drink's his own event. Does does it sound good to you? No. The drink? Yeah. Yeah, shit yeah. I mean, oh, wow. apart from the fact yeah. that it's Gordon's, yeah. my least favourite drink. That's, that's like Budjo gin when you're 18 and think you're being fancy. Yeah, totally. I mean, it comes in a, you can get it in those horrible soda versions. So yeah, they're really, that, mm. it doesn't really say they're, class. they're really sweet. So it's, it's quite a strong drink though. Mm. So a measure being minimum 25 mils. So that is over 100 mils of spirit. 
This does not for, happen. For, for, when he's, for when he's concentrating for dinner. Um, four and a half standard drinks, that's almost two thirds of a bottle of wine, or two 335 mil cans of Cody's 8% bourbon and coke. <laughs> Which was his second choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't, isn't it the fact that uh, they say that the reason he wants it shaken, not stirred, mm. is that the ice will break and yeah. melt? and thus water it down. Yeah, but you still drink all the alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. You'd, you'd hope so. You just oh, get or you a could just order a less strong drink, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean... He, everyone would think you were, like, a girl. James Bond is not the sort of person to order fewer drinks. In fact, he is an absolute fucking pisshead. <laughs> <laughs> Question, how much do you reckon he drinks? <laughs> uh, do you want this measured in, like, litres? Um, how about we say, how many... How many standard drinks do you think he has a week, according to Dr. Indra Neil Guha, a liver specialist from Nottingham University? <laughs> oh, well, according Very to. Specific. Yeah. <laughs> whose who's, uh, colleagues and research students spent a year going through the books tabulating <laughs> how many drinks the suave spy drink a day. Okay, well, 100 mils is three standard drinks, mm -hmm. or 3.2 standard drinks, yeah. or something like that. Let's say he has two of those an evening. 14 times three is... Maths. Maths. The definition of binge drinking, isn't it four standard drinks in an evening? 42. 42, 42? standard drinks in an evening. Maybe for 14, you, Jeff. 14, <laughs> no, 14 times three. Just, 14 just, times three, thank Just you. give me a number. Give me a number in a week. 100. Pretty close, Ooh. yeah. 90, you can have a point. Uh, 90 to 125 standard drinks. Good Lord. Six to seven, quite strong drinks a day. Uh, and this was published in the British Medical Journal. So, uh, you know, it's right. What does uh, Bond think of a cup of tea? He loves it. No, <laughs> quite the opposite. That's what he wouldn't say. It's pretty leaf water and he can't stand it. Kind of, he calls it mud and he blames it for the downfall of the British Empire. Oh. Uh, he prefers strong coffee. Uh, at one stage, he also smoked more than 70 cigarettes a day. Uh, he quite so Ian Fleming died of heart disease yeah. because he smoked and drank all the yeah, time. Yeah, Fleming, right? Fleming smoked three to four packs a day as well, wow. which is like ram-raiding dairies. <laughs> yeah. The name gave him away, really. Yeah. Um, apparently Bond also quite liked potato salad, so there you go. Uh, our next question, so this is going over to you only say never a few more times. Why do you need to be careful where you stick your stalks? Where you stick your stalks. So stalks yep. as in like from a from an apple? Like a apple stalk? Like sticky or, things, or yeah. Or like the... Not, not like cuckoo. No. Deliver, <laughs> because it's delivering babies and you don't want to... <laughs> if you're James Bond, you do not want a paternity suit. Yeah, no. no. Is this some kind of... Do you use like apple juice as an invisible ink? Oh, it's because of the cyanide. No? No. But but, but actually, but I'll, I'll give you a I mean, we're not talking about invisible ink here, but we can, you can have points for invisible ink because invisible ink is slightly acidic and you write it on paper and it weakens the paper. Mm. So then when you apply heat, it tends to scorch first. I learned by reading Wikipedia this afternoon. Wow. Yeah, and then, um, like, mm. MI6 agents use uh, semen as uh, what? invisible ink? You tell me. I'm telling, I'm telling you it's true. Because true every engine has a with them. I'm actually talking here I'm talking here about flower stalks. Flower, flower. stalks? 
Yeah. Oh, flowers. Smile, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Priest and James, we're all right. <laughs> is, this, is this for bugs that, like, if you if you want to bring in, you know, like the florist springs in a vase, but oh, at the bottom of the vase? Kind of, maybe. Flowers have often been used in espionage as a yeah. way to signal people, a way of poisoning people, Ooh. a way of uh, sticking, like, objects inside, or a way of catching people out. Ooh. So what I'm referring to here, which is something you never in a hundred years would have gotten, which is why it's a perfect nerd degree question, <laughs> is that... Uh, a former FBI agent called Joe Navarro, who is a body language expert, mm. and then <gasps> I know what you're talking about. Tell me. Is this the thing of like he knew that it was a Russian guy because he was walking with the flowers, a bunch of flowers, and he was walking. Oh, this is terrible for the podcast. But he was walking with the flowers like this, pointing down, and it's like only like when we in, over here, over here in America, we walk with flowers. <laughs> That is exactly oh, like right. Oh yeah. God, I'm fucking new a thing. You're smart. I'm not here because I'm one of the smart ones. I'm here for other reasons. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, you're doing really well, Kathleen. I'm here with that. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so he he recognised that this guy was Eastern European because no American would have carried flowers like that at all. Um, there are lots of other ways. It was also part of a stand-up routine. <laughs> Americans carry another way of thinking about flowers, which is the language of flowers, the or floriographies. Yeah. yeah. So tell me, do you know much about the? Victorian I do. I know flowers? that most of this is actually made up after the Victorian period because Ooh. it's so romantic. Tell and us cool. more. Um, so mm -hmm. the idea was that um, when you were courting. Uh, you would deliver flowers to your beloved, and this is also in the Regency period. Um, so you'd, you'd take over some flowers, and it'd be things like a yellow rose means friendship, a pink rose means blossoming love, a red rose is passionate love, mm. that kind of thing. Um, but they would also do things like, and if there's baby's breath on the side, it means I hope your brother dies so you inherit. <laughs> this kind of, um, it was, but what it actually meant was people would just give each other flowers, um, and most of the meanings were in fact ranked by how much the flowers cost. Um, <laughs> And then afterwards, people are like, oh yes, the language of flowers, it's much like the language of fans. It's, right. it, everyone loves to categorise stuff and make codes out you, of things. You, you can have points for that, mm. but there are ways that the language of flowers have been used in spycraft. Mm. So for instance, uh, there's a really cool book called Invisible Ink Spycraft of the American Revolution, mm. in which the author, John Nadji, has written about how women would stand up on the, the widow's watch in uh, New York at one Broadway, and she would go up there and observe the American troops and then come down and do drawings or paintings of flowers. Uh, and he says that the last book about this was written in 1835, but using those flowers, you could give a description as to how many troops there were, mm. where they were going to be amassed on the border, mm. whether they were going to attack. And there was one individual, he says, who claims that in a bouquet of flowers he could put in the equivalent of eight pages of text. Ooh. Wow. You'd really have to hope that the person getting the flowers could interpret them. Well, I think they'd stand there with the flowers mm. as well. So, yeah. Um, so I came across a, a funny little exchange on Tumblr where people were asking... Yeah, sorry about it, funny. No, this this actually was funny. Uh, uh, and this person was saying, wouldn't it be great if you could use the language of flowers to say, and hear verbatim, the rebel leader is dead, rendezvous at the docks at eight, bring the dog, you will need lighter fluid and a large tomato. <laughs> How would you turn that into a bouquet, do you think? Because someone came up with something and it's good pretty God. good. 
So the rebel leader is dead. Rendezvous at the docks. Bring the dog. Uh, you need a lighter fluid and a large tomato. Just paint that picture. And like hold it up and go, yeah. this is my picture. He's <laughs> <laughs> <It's> a dog. <laughs> well, what this person came up with was you get two bouquets. Mm-hmm. One of them has a nasturtium with no leaves. So red denotes a leader and the nasturtium a patriot mixed with white or red mask flowers as rebellion and martyrdom around Cyprus, which means death. Uh, please don't give me any Cyprus in a bouquet. And then chickweed for a rendezvous, uh, eight white poplar leaves, a yellow iris for flame, and a flower that grows by rivers and so on and so forth. Um, and there isn't just a large tomato in the middle, there is a large tomato leaf, all bound up in dogwood bark. But, but you understand now why spies white. I'll just use semen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> spies used to really, yeah, like, spies used to and still do a little bit. Um, communication of personals like it used to be um, I saw you across a crowded room you were wearing a blue coat I was wearing a red carnation you were a Russian I yeah, was an American pretty much <laughs> I was killing the rebel leader yeah. large <laughs> but that was like through the personal ads people would they would go into every paper you can ring up and say this is what the notice I want to go in and then you don't have to have any direct contact with anybody because all you're doing is reading the paper which everybody did yeah. imagine yeah. accidentally swiping left on a person killing a rebel leader I came across this quite funny thing called the Cryptofloricon, which is made by um, a company called Original Content London. They're a creative studio undertaking experiments in digital culture. They've got a really cute website. I'd encourage it. So what they've been doing is putting together floral ciphers that you can send to people made up of uh, roses, lilies, gerberas, chrysanthemums, and car... I was going to say cardamoms, carnations. And so, for instance, rose, rose, chrysanthemum, carnation means you'll pay for that. (laughs) <laughs> a lily and two chrysanthemums <laughs> means go die in a hole um, and they've put together this whole wonderful thing at cryptofloricon.com you can go laugh out loud, awkward uh, keep calm, carry on or help I'm trapped in a florist <laughs> right so question three let's o- go over to Nikki Espionage and Harry Spiles mm-hmm. how did the United States use drips Dribbles and drizzles to help fight the Cold War. And the answer is not semen. The answer is not semen. It's not semen. No. Oh. We might need to put a label on on explicit label on the corners. How did the US use drips, drizzles, and dribbles to help fight the Cold War? I'm going to say they made they created a whole lot of Jackson Pollocks. With like, codes. what? <laughs> really? Yes. Cool. And then there's like secret codes in there, and then uh, they're like, yeah, communism's dumb. What's Jackson? <laughs> I don't know what Jackson Pollock is. It's like the drippy, Jackson the drippy Pollock boy. Jackson Pollock is an artist. He got dubbed Jack the Dripper. In fact, we have a painting of his there. Oh. Yeah. So, so he he would do things like swing over canvases with you know kind of big things of paint and. And yeah, so you, I mean, you're wrong, but you do get points oh. because you're, you're right <laughs> In the ballpark. You're, you're yeah. Shimming, yeah, okay. shimmying your way through right. So this that. is to do with the way that the CIA has often undertaken what they call long leash uh, operations, hearts mm. and minds, soft power ones. One of the best known we've actually mentioned on a recent podcast. Winds of change. Winds of change. Uh, the Scorpions, the power ballad, which was allegedly written Ooh. by the, yeah, was originally written, or allegedly written by the CIA to um, help topple the Soviet Union. There's a really good podcast called Wind of Change from Patrick Redden Keith, who is a New Yorker journalist. But they also used American modern art, including the work of Jackson Pollock. Mm. Why, and actually, you've just described kind of 
why it is that they thought that that sort of you know abstract expressionism might be good to fight communism with. Just like conceptually, it was was it like the idea that like communism was so like strict Gray. and rigid yes. mm-hmm. that if they just saw art that was like wait this is this isn't this isn't aligning to my paradigm i've got to (laughs) overthrow the government so this is this is the same cia that did things like can we psychically determine what goats are thinking yeah exactly okay so yeah so they were high (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, I, th- I think it was amphetamine specifically. Right, okay. Yes, yeah, so modern art and design represented liberalism, individualism, dynamic activity, creative risk, all of which is only possible in a free society. Uh, Jackson Pollock's gestural style, for instance, drew an effective counterpoint to Nazi and then Soviet oppression. And this happened through an organisation called the Congress for Cultural Freedom, Ooh. who were an anti-communist advocacy group active in 35 countries. And they did things like back this massive touring exhibition called Advancing American Art, which featured artists like Georgia, um, George O'Keefe. Uh, the exhibition was meant to tour through Eastern Europe, the Caribbean, Latin America, regions considered to be political and ideological battlegrounds. Wow. That's so interesting because artists now are all raging commies. Oh no, this was part of the, this, <laughs> this, this was a contradiction. Oh. So many of these artists were like pro-communist, left-leaning, yeah. like, Whatever, but they were also seen to be countering socialist realism, which is right. the state-supported style dominant in Russia. But at the same time, it was controversial because back at home, the majority of Americans were going, "That's not fucking art. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you, what are you doing with that?" And one Republican representative said, "Modern art is communistic because it is distorted and ugly because it does not glorify our beautiful country and smiling people and our material." Progress. But this is, this is exactly the kind of thing we should be putting in our arts funding applications. <laughs> yes. like, well, what, what benefit? Well, I think it might no, overthrow a dictatorship. So, but at the same time, it was pro- precisely because modern art was not universally popular and it was created by artists who disdained orthodoxy that it was deemed to be an effective tool. Mm. I know. So, well done. <laughs> <laughs> no, to James. I said, I said Jackson Pollock. And, yeah. And yeah. No, but you, but you also you also said drippy, droppy, drippy, droppy, yeah. ideological. <laughs> Dr. Harrington. Yeah. If Killer. someone put that into an essay, what would you give them? Uh, B minus. Well, there you go. Oh, yeah. I give a B minus. It's it's better than an E. Right. And <laughs> and so our final question for this round over to only say never a few more times. What connects the following? A small panel, a glass pendant, a happy skater. Small panel, glass pendant, happy skater. Yep. A hypnotist show. No. Ah. I mean, possibly, but but not not what I'm after. Um, Okay, so um, a small panel, Mm -hmm. um, like on a wall or of experts? (laughs) Good question. Mm. Okay. All right, you're not going to give it to me. Okay. No, no, I, um, I, I don't actually know. Let's say, um, let's say on the wall. Okay, I think because we're in the world of spies, yes. I think skater is probably an ice skater, um, because they, they feature because it. skaters are called skaters. Mm. You would. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Because um, <laughs> of um, uh, the the living daylights, there's an ice oh, skater true, in there. True. True. Um, glass pendant. Mm. Um, not hypnotism, no. Ridiculous. Oh, no. what was I thinking? Um, glass... That was a false flag. <laughs> glass pendant, of course, useful for 
directing light. I'm going to put oh. you out of your misery. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> unless, unless you have a... It's not Jackson Pollock. Um, no. uh, they're code words. They are code words. Fuck oh. yeah! <laughs> <laughs> They are code names or nom de guerre that oh. MI5 gave to suspects during a 2009 It's wow. me, operation. small panel. <laughs> <laughs> so, so these were revealed in a 2015 trial of a guy called Abed Nasir, who was accused of being an Al-Qaeda operative who was planning bomb attacks, allegedly, in Manchester and New York. So MI5 agents turned up at the trial because they had to talk in person, like in full disguise, and you read like were they wearing the green morphs <laughs> so so you read the descriptions and the transcripts and it's like uh the the witness appears to be a six foot three uh black man with a giant beard and this and that but of course you wouldn't you'd have you'd have an idea but um these names were names that were given to fellow suspects in oh. this so some of the other code names of these people who are being accused of um, plotting this bombing included undercurrent and my favourite, regional difference. Regional <laughs> <laughs> difference. It sounds like it's like, quick, we need code names. No. Panel. <laughs> yeah, like okay, good. No, that's, that's kind of what... <laughs> that's kind of what they were going for, the most banal terms oh, that could be just kind of randomly slipped in without kind of, you know... I'm sorry, if anyone talks about a happy skater... That they, that they are all miserable. Me, yeah. that's, that's fair call. So I generated some names for you. Um, Brendan, you are Big Duster. <laughs> Karen, so you are Stable Pupil. Thank you. Which yeah. I thought was very apt, given your educational vocation. Jeff, you are Blind Hound. Ooh, Blind Hound. James, you are Summer Smile. Aww. Yeah, summer and smile. Kathleen, you are Intermediate Breed. <laughs> <laughs> So where are we at with the scores? Or do you have you been cooking anything up for us? Well, yes. While I've been uh, while while you've been doing this, I've actually been organising a very good observation program. It's um, a long line of people that are just standing in uh, in, in, oh, no. in a sort of succession uh, in order to attend an event or observe something. I call it the queue. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We can cut that. Uh, what, what, long pause. No, leave no, all of leave it. Leave it in. What, 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 what listeners at home might Make might need to remember is that we all know Jeff and love Jeff for who he is. <laughs> but and, and Jeff is very very good at bullshit puns, and we're yeah. very good at tolerating them. I am. Yes. Yes. So um, so 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 it is silence with love. <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah. 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 Just silence with love. Yeah. So good. Love. Yep. So it's Judy. The scores. Yes, the yeah. scores are um, only say never a few more times are on six, and Nikki Espionage and Harry Spies are on seven. Whoa! Whoa. Wow. <laughs> it's a mystery game. Yeah. <laughs> it is a mystery game. Right, our first homework round. Everybody knows that nerds love homework. Uh, legendary spy James Bond. He has been in the public imagination since Ian Fleming's 1953 novel, Casino Royale. But after many iterations, I personally think that the franchise is due for a refresh. Mm. So I've asked the nerds to reboot Bond in any way, in any genre, in any format. <laughs> Brendan. Yes. Let's start with you. I, I genuinely believe, my prediction is that when Bond comes back, they're going to start... Uh, with a series of remakes, and that the first one will be From Russia With Love. Mm -hmm. um, so I have written 
an updated, like to the minute, like contemporary <laughs> version of From Russia with Love. Mm-hmm. Um, and Karen, I'm going to call upon you because in in the movie. Um, James Bond meets a, a Russian double agent. Yeah. You are going to be the sexy sort of seductress uh, with an impeccable Russian accent. <laughs> um, from Russia with Love, the scent and smoke and sweat of a casino are nauseating at three in the morning. But that is where James Bond, secret agent, needed to be. He was on a mission. There was gambling all around him, a high stakes game of League of Legends. <laughs> The prize, one million bitcoins. (laughs) Bond signaled to the bartender for his usual and produced an ingenious invention provided by Q-Branch. What looked like an ordinary pen was actually a tiny device capable of vaporizing a small cartridge of liquid, (laughs) creating an aerosol law of vapor. (laughs) He inhaled deeply, vermouth flavor with a twist of lemon. But down to business, M had been very clear. A Russian agent could be willing to provide valuable intel, maybe even switch sides, if Bond could be sufficiently persuasive. He sat down across from her. The name's Bond, he said suavely. James Bond, 007. She smiled enticingly. You can call me at Patriot Girl 64213. (laughs) Bond smirked. They must have run out of good code names decades ago. I understand you have some information for me, he stated, masculinely puffing on a cloud of vapor. Did you know? She beckoned beckoningly. That so-called President Joe Biden actually died 20 years ago as a result of Hillary Clinton's emails. <laughs> Share if you agree. <laughs> Bond paused. This information could be critical, but he wouldn't take things at face value. A double O learns to do his own research. Is that true? He probed craftily. Listen. She sexed sexily. I'm just a simple country girl who loves her country and her guns. But I think Antifa are trying to put fluoride in your chemtrails. Share if you agree. I I love it. I should mention that Russia by way of South Africa. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I'm going to go French next. Watch it. Bond couldn't believe it. He'd hit the intel motherload. Go on, he asked artfully. Listen. She jiggled voluptuously. <laughs> I am just a medical doctor with a degree in Harvardology from Yale. <laughs> but I can tell you that vaccines are turning our lizards into the royal family. <laughs> Share if you agree. Bond couldn't help but be aroused by this hot load of reliable intel. Maybe you and I should take this somewhere else. Listen. She boobed bustily. <laughs> I'm just an American mother of 12 from the sunken city of Atlantis. But I heard that 5G is causing the Earth to go flat. Share if you agree. This was exactly the sort of information Bond had been looking for. He patted himself on the back, but there was no time to dilly-dally. Bond had a lead on some horny singles in his area that he needed to check out. The end. Yes! Very Fuck good. Yeah. James, your turn. Oh, my turn? Yeah. Oh, okay, I'm gonna stand up for mine. Okay. I'm gonna stand up. This is my pitch. Guys, I'm going for make money, have fun. Make money, have fun, and 
that means ripping off most of the films that have just come out. <laughs> so we're going, we're going hard on what's already been successful and what people really, really want. Okay, ready? The opener is, it's regular James Bond opener with a gun barrel, but you can't see the Bond. Ooh. It's just a silhouette. The gun barrel turns into the, a zero on a license plate 007 mm. on a motorcycle as it whips through a desert. Gunfire as a helicopter seemingly comes out of the ground. Zoom out. It's the Grand Canyon. <gasps> the bike is, uh, there's a figure on top, black leather, black visored helmet, speeding past. The helicopter's flying. Hits the motorcycle, but the figure leaps off and then puts his arms out. It's a squirrel suit. It's flying <laughs> after the helicopter. Um, he's firing his, he's firing his PP7. Pew, pew, pew. Helicopter blows up, and then a henchman. Whoo! Squirrel suit. It's a squirrel suit dogfight in the Grand Canyon. <laughs> They're chasing each other. Oh, they land, and then they have a big fight, and then um, the figure in the leather and the black visor wins, uh, and gets him in an arm lock. And then what happens is, he's like, ha ha ha, you'll never get anything out of me. Crunch! And then the figure's like, what the hey? But the henchman figure starts, blah, 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 uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, like disintegrating. <laughs> They're like, oh no. But the figure feels something on his wrist. Oh, it's an octopus tattoo and it feels weird. But his body's disintegrating. Watch sword, slices off their arm. And then bones. Um, <laughs> the figure takes off its helmet. What? It's Margot Robbie. Oh. Yay! She touches her, her ear. 007. She says, Q, I need an evac. Q says, what's happened? And then, looking at the emphasis, things got out of hand. Yeah. Then, cue the theme songs by Harry Styles for the deadliest game. It's in the jungle. The Spectre henchmen have a huge device. It's like a stargate. It opens. And three figures start walking into the light, but you can't see who they are. Cut to MI6. Plonk. 007 drops the arm on Q's desk. I'm loving, the, I'm loving the foley. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> on Q's desk. He's like, oh, it's Ben Winshaw. It's, it's the same, same Q as the Daniel, Daniel so Craig good. one. Okay. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, it's like, I know I... I know I tell you to bring things back in one piece, 007, but this is taking things a bit too far. Um, they're able to triangulate the signal and determine that the location of several Spectre agents, which seem to be congregating in various locales around the world, which is exciting. <laughs> um, then M arrives, and it could be uh, Lashana Lynch, who was the 007 in No Time to Die, or it could be Ray Fiennes. We'll, do, we'll just work it out schedules uh, when it comes to it. <laughs> They have a chat about stuff, but then a klaxon, wah, wah. Oh, someone's breaking in to the secret door. Q says, don't worry, um, the back door is secure access only. And then 007, or Bond and M and several guards run to the door. They've got their guns up, they're ready to act. The door's like, beep, 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 beep. And a figure falls through, clonk. <laughs> M's like, identify yourself or we will open fire. Oh no, he's pa they're passed out. On the count of three, I'm going to fire if you don't identify yourself. Who are you? Then they look up and he says, Bond. James Bond. It's Sean Connery. <laughs> All right. So, scientists have been kidnapped. Sean Connery and Margot Robbie check out the locations around the world. 
and discover, whoa, there's more Bonds. There's Pierce Brosnan, there's Roger Moore, there's Timothy Dalton. <laughs> they discover that there's lots of different villains as well, like Gustav Graves from um, the one with Pierce Brosnan with the spin around <laughs> on the ice. Um, there's Le Chiffre from Casino Royale and Alex Trevelyan from uh, Goldeneye. Also, maybe Grace Jones. I haven't... Is Grace, yes, Grace Jones? Yes, yes, yes. 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 Has to be Grace Jones. There's an epic James Bond adventure. Back at MI6, I'm nearly done. <laughs> Everyone's trying to figure out what, what Blowfield's plan is. Blowfield's behind it. <laughs> but then the arm that Margot Robbie apprehended starts beeping and Q sort of listens. He says, get down! <laughs> A big explosion. MI6 is decimated. All the Bonds wake up in, in tubes. <laughs> Hear me out. All the Bonds wake up in tubes. What's going on? What's going on here? <laughs> um, but also, across from them are the tubes containing different villains. We've got Jaws, we've got Odd Job, we've got Salamanca, we've got Grace Jones, all of them. And they're all tubes in the circular, centrical uh, room. Blofeld's voice comes on the speaker. Rise and shine, 007s, the games are about to begin. <laughs> George, Lazenby, <laughs> George Lazenby says, I've never been one for games. And, and Blofeld says, come, come, Mr. Bond, you disappoint me. You enjoy a game as much as I do. The deadliest game, the Bonds fall through the chutes, zoom out, it's in space. <laughs> it's a giant octopus-shaped arena, and they fall down into these areas which resemble some of the Bond films. It's the satellite dish from Goldeneye. It's all of this business, and it's a real-life Goldeneye 64 game going on. <laughs> pew, pew, pew! Margot Robbie and Sean Connery figure out how to destroy the Spectre space station and, along with the other Bonds, ride the this blown-up space station back to Earth. They crash land and dust themselves off uh, in Egypt. And a bunch of tourists are like, take photos and imagine this. It's, it's a majestic, low-angle shot looking up at the Bonds. Margot Robbie is in the center. Their eyes start between each other as the tourists say, who are you? And they're about to say, there, Monica, but we cut to black and credits. There's a post credit scene. <laughs> <laughs> MI6 is now being run by Bonds. Uh, Margot Robbie is the main 007. Of course. Ooh. Of course. That's the James It was amazing. Thanks. I can see why you needed to stand for Yeah, that. yeah. yeah. We, we, we're applying for New Zealand on air funding yeah. soon. Imagine the merch. I know. Oh, so many oh, my Yes, That's multiverse really films seem to be very popular. This yeah. We're cashing yeah. in. Yeah, good, good, so good, good, good to see. Um, Jeff, I'll let you score that. I have quietly. Good. Yes, I've added. I've added a number of points to both teams. Very good. A secret number of points. Oh yes. Right, we are ready now for round two. <laughs> this is called. This is called shtick. This is called <laughs> spies of a feather. And this is around about some of the very strange ways that animals have been used in espionage. Can you flick us onto the pigeon picture? Ooh. Here we go. This is cute little pigeon. This pigeon is a stuffed pigeon. He is called Surveillance. <laughs> he is the mascot of the International Spy Museum and is there to stand for the hundreds of thousands of carrier pigeons sent through enemy lines, apparently 95% of which completed their missions. Ooh. Lots of pigeons would be strapped with cameras and they go as they were kind of flying through. And so it took messages back and forth. Yes, yeah. they did. They did. And in fact, more pigeons earned medals of honour 
than any other animal. Although <laughs> I, I don't think animals quite consent to going into war. No. So, and yeah. how does a pigeon, I mean, it would throw off the aerodynamics considerably. Yeah. Well, apparently it worked. In any case, I'm going to describe an animal. Uh, we are going to collectively ignore some of the ethical and animal welfare implications of some of the things <laughs> we're going to be talking about. And I would like you to tell me how it has been used in espionage or secret missions. You can just let me know. Hmm? A defective whale. Was it used uh, against maybe submarines? Whales and dolphins were used a lot in um, things like sniffing out... Uh, underwater mines mm. and taking pictures and doing that stuff. So a, a defective whale. Yeah, I'm, I'm being a bit of a shit with the word defective. Well, don't be a shit there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about a whale that might have defected. Oh. oh. A pun or play on words. <laughs> did, the, did, the, yes. did the whale from Blackfish or something like... <laughs> go, to, go to Russia and tell them how terrible America was? <laughs> uh, we're, we're kind of thinking about the, the opposite. Well, not, not quite in the same way. We're thinking here, and in fact, I think we've got a picture here of a white beluga whale oh. who turned up in Norwegian waters wearing a harness and thought to be a Russian spy. Oh. <laughs> the, the reason they thought he was a Russian spy was that the harness appeared specially made and had mounts for GoPro cameras on each side of it, and the harness clips read, Equipment St. Petersburg. <laughs> in English? Yeah. Oh. Contributing to the theory that the whale came from Murmansk in Russia and was trained by the Russian Navy. Interesting. So yeah. I, I knew that dolphins had been, they tried to see if dolphins could be used to put bombs mm -hmm. on ships and so forth. You can have a point for that. Oh, thank you. That's a factoid. It is a factoid. But I, I didn't know that they were actually uh, surveillance. Yeah. There's, there's some uh, quite good pictures well. of, of surveillance uh, cetaceans. Uh, in 2019, so this happened in 2019, <laughs> the Norwegian national broadcaster NRK started a poll asking their readers to name the neighbourhood's newest celebrity, and there were more than a thousand suggestions. The most popular names included Snow White, Agent James Beluga, and the White Russian. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me they called it that. <laughs> uh, they did, in fact, find a name. I think we have a picture here for this. Oh, the, the whale was eventually named Havaldemir for Vladimir Putin. Oh. Uh, lots of debates over how to either look after him or help him look Do after him. Do not approach him by boat. He could be injured by propellers. I know. He's, he's just a whale. He's just doing his thing. Not blowhole failed? This is how much minus points do you think you've had over the, the eight years of this? <laughs> this is episode ninety five or ninety four I think. How many oh, wow. how many negative points, Jeff? Uh, negative I think I'm in the high forties. Yeah, fair call. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, next animal is a cyborg cat. A cyborg cat. Okay. Yes, um, well, didn't they train a cat to like, go into the Russian embassy or to a park bench outside the Russian embassy and they implanted recording device in the cat? Oh god, this is horrible. Um, <laughs> so the idea is the cat would like, go and sit on the lap of a handler as they were talking to their agent. But I believe that once they'd trained up this cat, they opened the van, let the cat out, and it was immediately run over. <laughs> <laughs> You can have quite a few points for that. Oh my gosh. Wow. I believe. Uh, I've got a picture. Um, this is 
the infamous CIA project Acoustic Kitty from the 1960s, and this was disclosed when some documents were declassified in 2001. Uh, the question was, like you say, how do we use animals as listening devices? And they were like, you can't use that, can't use that, can't use a dog. People pet dogs will go, who's that owner? Um, but cats, they just like sift about basically so the intent was to use them to spy like you say on the soviet and kremlin uh, embassies so a vet operated on a cat implanted a microphone in the cat's ear a small radio at the base of its skull and a thin wire into its fur and the very first mission was to uh, eavesdrop on two men in a park outside the soviet embassy in washington dc apparently killed by taxi however this was disputed in 2013. The cat faked its death. <laughs> <laughs> a defected. Yeah, yeah, the cat defected. Um, and so Robert Wallace, who is a former director of the CIA's Office of Technical Services, said that the project was actually abandoned because it's really hard to train cats. <laughs> and that um, the equipment was taken out of the cat. The cat was re for a second time and lived a long and happy life afterwards, which I think... Sounds like propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the, the bad story is the actual story. Uh, the program was cancelled in 1967. So yeah, some pretty good points for that, Brendan. Mm-hmm. That's good. Nice. Um, our third of four animals, actually a whole lot of animals, hibernating. Oh, actually, I think we've got one more picture of, of cat. There we go. <sighs> Secret, oh. <laughs> Secret conversation, cat with an antenna. And a cat. <laughs> and a fish. And, and a the fish. CAI guy has to like throw a fish right next <laughs> to the It's a microfish. It's yeah. Miami. Oh, oh God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Minus one. Yeah, yeah you can do that. Um, right, next animal hibernating Mexican bats. Hibernating Mexican bats? Yep. Okay, so bats are good at navigating and they're good at sonar and echolocation. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not the right track. Not I the believe right track. I know this one as well. Oh. Is this World War Two? Uh huh. This was planned weapon to use against uh, Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, famous for its wooden buildings. Yep. Uh, they would release a lot of bats with incendiary devices attached to them. Mm-hmm. Bats would instinctively fly up and under the rafters and roost inside the, these wooden houses. Yep. And then the incendiary devices would go off and set the city on fire. That that was the plan, and and part of the justification, particularly because this is happening at the same time as the atomic bomb is being mm. planned, is that you'd set heaps of shit on fire without mass casualty, and people would kind of, you know, run yeah, off. Who, and, who, who would be bothered by a few um, cities burning down? Yes, yeah, so this is bat bombs. Uh, I think we've got... Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a massive! Yeah, it's so bigger than the bat. Yeah, and we've got another picture here of the devices that they're meant to sit inside. So bat bombs, like you say, experimental World War II weapons. So what they did is they were trying to go, exactly like you say, how can we send bats in? But then the bats that they wanted to send to Japan, they figured that the Mexican long-tailed bat was the best bat, but it was like in New Mexico. Mm. So what do we do? Oh, well, we cool them down, and we make them go to sleep, and we put them in these things, and we take them away, and then we let them out, and they warm up, and they wake up, and then they fly into eaves, which did not work. <laughs> uh, so the bat bomb, the guy who came up with the bat bomb, was a fucking lunatic. <laughs> a guy None called, of these no. people sound very sensible. <laughs> a guy called Little S. Adams, who was a dental surgeon from Irwin, Pennsylvania, um, who was a friend of First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt, mm-hmm. um, he did not like bats. He thought that bats were, quote, the lowest form of animal life, <laughs> and that until now, quote, reasons for its creation have remained unexplained. <laughs> uh, bombing Japan being its reason for creation. 
Uh, and even the mammologists who were involved in this, who said to love bats, didn't realise until many years later that there were moral and ecological consequences of sacrificing <laughs> a few million bats. But it didn't, it didn't go well, it didn't really happen, because they did a few trials, didn't work great. One thing that didn't go great is that an army airfield airbase in New Mexico blew up <laughs> because... They accidentally released bats and they roosted under a fuel tank. Oh, <laughs> and it incinerated the test range. But most of these initiatives were just absolutely lunatic. Mm. Completely wackadoodle. Mm. It's crazy. Yeah. So the the fire bats were happening at the same time as the bomb. Yeah. They were like, oh, the bomb's ready. Let's just give the bats a chance. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> put me in code, put me in code. <laughs> It makes me wonder what they're coming up with now. Ugh. Like, like what things we're going to be laughing about in mm. 20 years. Hopefully, hopefully everything. Oh. Um, <laughs> our, our last animal is glow-in-the-dark foxes. Oh, that just sounds cute. It does sound quite cute. Brendan and Karen, you might have a bit of insight into because both of you have also lived in Japan. Mm-hmm. And this is another... Oh, oh, it's to freak people out. Yes. Because um, nine-tailed foxes... Uh, Traditionally, nine tails, sometimes three or seven, um, were uh, spirits. They're mm-hmm. the spirits of the dead sometimes, and sometimes they're just like mischievous. And so, if you saw a glow in the dark fox, you would freak the fuck out and maybe run away from your post. Yeah, or... it was a psyops scam. Yeah. Uh, where yeah. it was cooked up by a guy called Ed Salinger, who was an eccentric businessman who had worked in <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a very well balanced businessman who had run an import export business in Tokyo before World War II. He pitched to the Office of Strategic Services, which is the wartime intelligence agencies, that you could destroy Japanese morale Mm. by exposing them to the Shinto portent of doom, Kitsune, Mm. fox-shaped spirits with magical abilities. They had a few different ideas about how to do this. One was giant fox-shaped balloons. Hmm? Balloons. <laughs> that would be like a happy thing to see. Maybe. One was whistles that made fox noises. That would freak me out because foxes sound horrendous. Horrible. Yeah. How do One, foxes sound? What does the fox say? Oh, oh yeah. I like it, Jim. <laughs> I like, I like <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, one was artificial fox odours, which they experimented with quite extensively, which did not go well. What, so people would be like, oh my gosh, it smells like a fox, I'm so yeah. scared. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Surrender. They, so yeah. they got to catch live foxes in China and Australia, spray paint them with glowing paint, and release them throughout <laughs> Japanese villages. Lots of problems. Radioactive paint does not do nice things. Oh. They, couldn't, they couldn't get it to stick to fur, except for a raccoon who was more than willing to have his fur painted in exchange for food. <laughs> uh, they, they released some in Washington, D.C. to see how it goes. People freaked out. Uh, they tried to get foxes to swim. Paint came off, so they had to be dropped on shore. They decided then, how about we just like flag all of this and get stuffed taxidermied foxes with human skulls on their heads, <laughs> attach them to balloons so it looks like they're levitating oh. and push them through towns okay. and villages. That's genuinely freaky. Yeah. Um, and the guy who put the kibosh on all of it, he was the head of the research and development branch. He was a guy who became famous, his name was Stanley Lovell, for very eccentric ideas, including trying to make Hitler's moustache fall out by putting female sex hormones in his vegetables. And even he said, this is too much. I trust that this will serve as a critique to us in the field of reason. They were really just throwing stuff it's at the wall. Just whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. Wow. Yeah. So where are we at with the scores? Well, I'm, I'm giving myself a point for not making the pun phosphorus. 
Um, so I'm giving myself a pain. But, uh, that makes you on negative two. Yes, it does. Um, well, Nikki Espionage and Harry Spies are currently on 11, but um, only say never a few more times have rocketed ahead, uh, much like Ooh. the car I've got out the back, um, <laughs> to 17. Wow. That's pretty impressive. That was so, a lot of specific knowledge. Yeah, yeah. it was good. Yeah. It was good. Well done. So we are now up to round three. <laughs> Taunt, James Taunt, which is um, a bad funeral round. This is a, a bluffing round where one team will read a bunch of things and the other team needs to decide whether or not they are true or false. So this refers to, and I think we've got a picture here. Here we go. Oh my God. Um, Euro spy films or spaghetti spy films. These were spy films produced in Europe and right at the beginning of the Bond boom, um, particularly over 1964 to 68. James Taunt was uh, tonto, meaning dumb. Uh, they were kind of parody characters. And there were heaps of these films. Some were sincere, some were silly. What I would like you to do, uh, Nikki Espionage and Harry Spiles, mm -hmm is I'm giving you a list of actual names from some of these films okay. and you can read them out loud or you can make up your own okay. and only say never a few more times needs to figure out whether or not if it's, it's real, real or fake. Okay. Yeah. Here's one for you. Real spy film or fake? Danger! Death Ray! Oh, that's gotta be real. That's one hundred percent real. Danger Death Ray. Real. Real. With and, exclamation marks. And we'll watch. Oh, I think he had two points because it is danger. Yeah. Exclamation mark. Yeah. 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 yeah, really good. Good. Okay, another one. Mono pussy. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great episode of The Simpsons. Uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to say that there's no way Italians are going to make a film with just one pussy. Okay, <laughs> sorry. That's fake. <laughs> that is that is correct. <laughs> Okay. Come on, raise your game, <laughs> Here's another one. Um, the second best secret agent in the whole wide world. <laughs> Who would make a movie about that? You got, I mean, it's just, it's just underselling yourself. Like, you gotta market yourself, right? What if it's like James Bond's sidekick, though? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, gee willikers, James! Yeah. Oh, it's me, regional difference. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, what do you think, Karen? I think fake. Fake. It is real. Oh, oh. This is a film from 1965 in which dauntless British agent Charles Vine is called upon to escort to London the famed Swedish scientist Henrik Jacobs to negotiate the sale of a secret formula. Mm. Everyone's secret formula. Yeah, <laughs> secret formula. Spy... In your eye. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan, I'm throwing that over you. Okay, spy in, your, spy in your eye, spy in your eye. To me, it, it does sound like someone's like, I've got to come up with a name for this film. <laughs> I'm going to do this one on psychology. <laughs> <laughs> Fake. It's real! Yes! Wow. Uh, 1965, a leading American spy has a miniature camera surgically implanted in his eye. Oh but it photographs secrets for the Russians. Whoa. Oh, no. Something, something, death ray. <laughs> the tiger perfumes itself with dynamite. The tiger perfumes itself with dynamite? Yep. 60% of the time it works every time. <laughs> um, I think... I don't know. It's so it's it's so word salady. I think Italian fake film titles are less word salady, more dumb. 
<laughs> like danger, death ray. <laughs> <laughs> or the second best spy. <laughs> what do you reckon? True, false? False. false. It's true! Oh, yeah. God damn it. This, is, this is the literal definition of a film that in uh, English gets to be oh, called. I just read it down, oh, yeah, down yeah. real quick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually didn't write it down. It was something to do with something, something. Uh, oh no, I wrote down the flesh one. Um, anyway, there was one about <laughs> okay, flesh. It was a film called Our Agent Tiger. So, one more. Cold linger. <laughs> it's too sexy. But but look, we've been doing. We've bad. been fucking we've up. Got quit, we've got to question ourselves. Yes, it's true. So let's this do is the, the psyop. Let's yeah. do the opposite of what we think. So we think it's fake. We think it's fake. So it must be real. Real. God damn it! <laughs> Some of the other ones that I had were Special Mission Lady Chaplin, oh. Secret Agent <laughs> Super Dragon, Agent 3S3 Massacre in the Sun. You didn't do the Super Dragon one? Uh, Agent 077 from the Orient with Fury. And in fact, a lot of these companies did so many films with 007 or variations in yes. the title that they got sued mm. terribly. What, one of my um, favourites here, Erin, yeah. is... 008, Operation Exterminate. Ah. That, that one's special because it's got a lady spy. Oh! Ooh. Hey, head of the curve, the Italians. Lady yeah. spy. Right, so we are going to head into the second homework round. Uh, Karen, yes. how about we how about we go for you? Yes, that's a good idea, but I'll Can just... Can you add another martini? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, while Karen is pouring herself another martini, Jeff, do you want to update us on the scores? Uh, yes, there have continued to be uh, scores acquired. Um, I am currently building a computer in order to calculate the uh, accurate results, and I will continue to enter those numbers as we speak. Very it's largely accurate. punch cards yep. at the moment, yep. yes. Right, Karen, All right. You. As the Anglophone world descends into a frankly tacky display of imperialist worship through excessive and repressive displays of grief for a woman very few of them actually knew, <laughs> one question is on every desperate journalist's lips. What does this mean for the future of the monarchy? Specifically, what does it mean for the youth? Will Gen Z turn from their beep-boop pocket computers for long enough to be caught by monarchy's stale allure? And what about their younger siblings? The Queen was everyone's grandma, and Auntie Camilla has some possibilities. But Charles III is clearly the grandpa you don't want to visit, who pats you on the head too hard and gives you cough drops instead of lollies. How then to appeal to the next generation of potential subjects before they grow up and start doing inconvenient things like voting in referendums? How can we use, in this pitch meeting, the debonair icon of empire that is James Bond, sexy super spy, to instill nostalgia and sentiment and adoration instead of indifference or opposition? Friends, for the young, I pitch to you, Bond babies. <laughs> I apologise, I'm about to inflict some singing on everybody. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Bond babies, spying for king and country. 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 Bond babies, spying for king and country.
hippies, the alternative is anarchy. <laughs> when government looks kind of weird and you ask why there's a king, close your eyes and make believe that monarchy's still a thing. Connery's Scottish, more likes to joke, Brosnan is hottest and Craig is more woke, Dalton's more brutal, Lesabine's worse, but let's just be real, the franchise is cursed. Is everything all right, Karen? Not really. <laughs> Bomb babies ignore imperial embrace. Bond babies, cause there's a cool car chase. You know, I reckon this has got real legs if they end up coming out with merch like the McDonald's Muppet Babies toys. Oh, those were yes. so Wales. good. Yeah. Yes. I had the Kermit, I could not get my hands Just on this piggy for love or money. Oh, I had a piggy, Karen. Oh, we could have teamed oh, up. Oh, oh. Straight to the lizard brain, yeah. <laughs> Kathleen. Okay. <clears throat> this is my pitch. James Bondage, Fifty Shades of James. We're just like a, just a complete reversal here. With the following scene in it. <laughs> Do you expect me to talk, Mr. Blowsock? No, Mr. Bond. I expect you to come. <laughs> At first, I wanted to kill you, but I restrained myself. Then, I restrained yourself. <laughs> Well, I'm afraid you've caught me with more than my hands up. <laughs> what is that, Mr. Bond? A big penny, shaven, not furred. Kathleen <laughs> <laughs> Burns. Mm. Oh, shit. That was whiplash, guys, yeah. I gotta say. <laughs> G-rated, not G-rated. Yes. Very good. Right, so we're now going to head into our final round. Round two. Spy versus spy. Very good. So Spy vs. Spy vs. Spy is a wordless comic strip. Mad Magazine, uh, two agents, comical espionage activities. Uh, it was created, I discovered today while reading Wikipedia, <laughs> by a Cuban expat cartoonist called Antonio Projas to parody the ideological conflict of the Cold War. We had a Spy vs. Spy game on our Amstrad CPC 464. Yeah. So. Yeah. 6128. Think the better spy is and why, but because the world of espionage is high stakes, mm. we're playing this as double or nothing. So if I agree with them, the way that they've pitched it, they get a point. If I disagree, the other team gets a point. Oh. Rude, eh? Um, you don't have to spend heaps of time on this. Okay. I'm just going to start throwing them at you. So how about we start with Nikki Espionage and Harry Spiles? Secret Agent Angus MacGyver, an agent for the Phoenix Foundation, the Department of External Services, or Russian assassin Villanelle Ooh. from the terrific drama Killing Eve. I mean, it's Villanelle, like a hundred times over. Why don't you give the letter and it's so obviously Villanelle. It is obviously Villanelle. <laughs> it's Villanelle. It's, it's Villanelle. Villanelle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's no jokes there. It's Villanelle. No, it's, sometimes you don't need a joke. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> facts is facts. Okay, I'm sorry, right. Richard Dean Anderson. <laughs> uh, only say never a few more times, Marvel's Black Widow or Marvel's Agent Peggy Carter? Oh, I think Peggy Carter because her style is mm -hmm. so 
sharp and Widow has to wear those horrible leather jumpsuit yeah. things. What do you reckon, Brendan? American. I agree. Yeah, I, I will agree on grounds of style. Very good. I can always be won over via style. Uh, <laughs> incompetent fool Maxwell Smart, aka Agent 86, uh, or cute, compu uh, com cute computer nerd slash incompetent fool slash CIA asset Chuck Bartowski from the NBC comedy Chuck. Maxwell Smart. Smart all day long. Oh, every day. Yeah. Why? Because Ch Chuck. How long did Get Smart go for? Like a million, like a million years. years. And like, how good is that opening sequence with the yeah. doors and shit? Oh, oh like, I my nose, yeah. Like, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah no, and I, also, like, just the whole, like, conceit of he's a, a fucking idiot and 99 mm. is, like, the smartest yeah, totally. motherfucker out there. Good. Like, I mean... Activate the kernel of truth. Yeah. You can have two points, actually, because I agree with you on the basis of... Dumb dude, smart chick, and opening sequence. Yeah, oh, yeah. Does anyone remember the theme song? It's yeah. 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 Spies a danger mouse, often called the world's greatest secret agent. So secret, in fact, that his code name has a code name. Or educational globe-trotting criminal Carmen Sandiego. Oh, now oh, yeah, that's a hard one. That's Oh God. Okay, I'm going to use some of my inside knowledge on Erin Harrington, <laughs> <laughs> which is that she played a lot of text-based video games. Okay. Yeah, and Carmen Sandiego had a really cool one. The answer was always Reykjavik. The answer was always Reykjavik. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to say it's Carmen by a whisker. It's Carmen by a Reykjavik, yeah. yeah. I'd agree with you there. Uh, Mission Impossible's Ethan Hunt, uh, let's say Tom Cruise version, or M, the head of MI6 and James Bond, let's say the Judy Dench version. Judy Dench. <laughs> Judy Dench. Judy Dench. Because Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise. Yeah. Like, does he But Judy Dench gets captured like so many times in, in those James Bond. Maybe she's running a long game. Although, and also it's way harder for her. A long game of like dying? Although I will give Judy Dench this, in Skyfall, it's like the most horrific Home Alone ever. <laughs> when her and James are setting like deadly traps mm -hmm. inside James's childhood home. Yes, Judy Dench. All day long. Come yep, on. no, I'll give you Judy Dench. <laughs> That's good. I agree. Um, yes, Tom Cruise just plays Tom Cruise going like this. <laughs> yeah. so I'm, I'm for the listener at home, we're all doing running out. <laughs> and the whole time, you know, he's Tom Cruise. Yeah. 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 Tom Cruise as Tom Cruise in Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible. Even in Top Gun, he's like yep. driving the plane like this. <laughs> and he's flying his plane like this. the wings are going like this. Our last one. This is this is tricky. The X Files Dana Scully. Oh no, that's or, it. The beloved 1964 children's novel and moderately well-received media adaptations, 11-year-old Harriet M. Welsh, Harriet the Spy. Oh, Scully or Harriet? I'm going to have to go with Scully on this one. No, I feel no. We've got ascension in the ranks because I think it's Harriet. Split the vote. Yeah, make them fight. Harriet. Wrong. They'd <laughs> set up an empowering mentorship relationship. Mm. And they'd work together. Mm. 
is... I, obviously, I should have thought of the answer that wasn't one of the options for an answer. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, between two th- teams, just as we come to the end, a quick, quick fire round. So we've sought about who we think the better spies. Here are a few where I'd like to know which real-life people you think would be the better spy. Gotcha. Charming actor-slash-wrestler Dwayne The Rock Johnson or charming actor-slash-wrestler John Cena? John Cena. Okay. Uh, yeah, pot- you can't see him. Is it correct? <laughs> you can't see him. I, I don't know. You can decide if you Okay. You can always hand. smell what The Rock is cooking. So you yeah, see yeah, coming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Victoria Beckham as Posh Spice or Emma Bunton as Baby Spice? Posh Spice. Posh Spice. Uh, sure. Um, beloved, <laughs> beloved New Zealand journalist and media personality John Campbell or beloved fake cop and media personality Wellington Paranormal's Karen O'Leary? Oh, they're both too honest. <laughs> John Campbell. John Gamble. Why? Why do you think John Gamble? Because he's marvellous. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, and this this question is worth a lot of points. Oh. So this is the like major, a game-changing amount of points. Amazing. I will say the points are currently tied. <laughs> well, wow. and and there is a real answer to this. Oh, okay. Me or Jeff? <laughs> um, you. And I'll tell you why, because Jeff cannot keep his mouth shut. <laughs> We're about to be pretty very wrong. I, do you know what? I'm going to go for the Jeff camp, mm. because I think everyone would think what Brendan is thinking. Yeah. Everyone would think that Jeff would be so bad at it. Like, really bad at it. Look, I'm, all but, I'm going on is 20 years of Jeff saying everything that he's ever thought of. Yeah, and, like, what you'd have to do is you'd have to make him like one of those like cyborg kind of spies. Like, he can't know he's Wait, a spy. like the cat? Yes. Manchurian, like English. Manchurian, yeah. Manchurian there, there style. An and the answer is Jeff. Oh. Yay! Yay! The reason is that, is that I can't keep a fucking straight face. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that brings us. Oh, thank you. It brings, <laughs> brings us to the end of the episode. So, Jeff, I want you to calculate the scores. I am calculating right and, now. And while you calculate, yes. does anyone have anything to plug? Oh yeah. Uh, I don't. To? No. Don't, don't don't you do? I'll be working some... from home. Don't come visit me. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't you do like? D&D I do a D&D podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Data Team Go. Listen to it. You'll hear my voice. <laughs> where, can, where can we find it? Yeah. Uh, you can find it on everything. Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio. Yeah. You can come find me here on Thursday night for Perfect Storm. Mm. Which is an improvisational comedy show. Which is an improvised <laughs> comedy show where I make up stuff and you enjoy it. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do a show called The Nerd Degree. And, uh, <laughs> we've got a, a great show coming up on the theme of spiders, uh, hosted by Jeff Clark. I'm guaranteed to only perform scripted puns. <laughs> Jeff, the scores. Yes, well, I've added them all up, and I'm very much looking forward to going back to my gardens. The winners of tonight, with just one point oh. in it. <laughs> Only seen ever a few more times on 25, but Nikki Espionage and Harry Spies on 26! Congratulations. Thank you, of course, for coming along. You can, f- I mean, if you're listening to us, you've already found us as a podcast. But <laughs> those of you in the audience who would like to listen again, hypothetically, you can find us in most of the places you can find podcasts on Twitter and Facebook because all the other ones are too hard. Uh, we'd like to say thank you to Little Andromeda. Thank you to Connie. Thank you to you, the audience, and the listeners at home. And uh, one more round of applause for our players tonight. Pumarie, good night.
got the gardens one. I can't you can come and talk to us, it's fine. I can't believe we lost the gardens. But you shouldn't have got so many roles. You shouldn't have got so many roles. Look, I'm sorry, I'm a young adult author, and I must always go over the young adult. 